0: Sometimes we desire lesser things. When people ask you what you want, maybe if your preference of dinner or this or that, maybe you say, it doesn't matter, whatever. And maybe you're just trying to be polite and willing to settle, but it just doesn't matter to you. My kids have, some, have learned sometimes to persevere in this lesser desires. And so they put Christmas lists together. And so I encourage them to put Christmas lists together that like, hey, tell me what you want. Give it. I don't hold back. I want to know, put your greatest desires on your Christmas lists. And so, you know, every year they put outlandish things that I would never buy them. But it is helpful that I know And so each year and this year, particularly, they put down puppy, and particularly a husky puppy. Now, they know when they write this down, there is no way that I'm going to give them this. But here's the thing. When you put something down on your list and you desire it, you ought to be pretty accurate And pretty, like, this precise in how you write it. Because when I see husky puppy written on a Christmas list, my mind goes, hey, there's a stuffed animal that looks like a husky puppy. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Or happy birthday, depending on who you are. The point is, is that to state what you want. Be clear about your desires. And I can appreciate that. God can appreciate when you are clear with your desires. If God were to ask you what you want, what would you say? What would you desire? And I'm sure some of you would raise your hand right now and give a great Sunday school answer. All I want, God, is you. And that would be a great answer, and it's true. Our desires, though, are broken, aren't they? Because that maybe wasn't probably what you would say to God if he asked you, what do you want? Even if God came down and asked you right now what you want, you probably wouldn't say that. Our desires are less than what God knows we need And what God knows that we actually need to desire. And they're less. Our desires, this is really important. Our desires are actually less than he's willing to give. So why hold back? Why not ask? Last week, we talked about this, right? The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The, the Spirit prays things deep and unknowable. Uh, that it, It's too complex for us to even comprehend. The Spirit is praying things that we don't even know we desire for us, in us, and through us. And and the grace in this moment is that God actually does this on our behalf, gives us the Spirit to pray these deep desires that we don't even know what we have. And because the Spirit and the Father are one, and they praise the will on our behalf, it will always be granted. Always be granted. The last three weeks we've been talking about, right, we've been in Advent, living between these two Advents, the the first coming of Christ in which we celebrate in Christmas, that, that God comes in the world, Emmanuel, God with us. And then this promise of the second coming of Christ, when all will be made right and all will be renewed. And and the tension that we live right now is between these two advents in, in this darkness in this world, in the death and sin of this world, and in the promises of God in this world. And unlike Christmas and the lore of Santa Claus, God doesn't make us wait to know our gifts you know, we as, we, as parents and, and, and we, we put Christmas gifts under the tree and there's this suspense and there's anticipation. We put down lists of what we're going to get. But here's the thing. God doesn't say, He asks for things and then I'm going to not tell you what you're going to get. You're just going to have to wait until I come back and be surprised. He actually tells you very specifically, this is what am I am going to give to you. He doesn't make us even make our christmas list out he doesn't even ask what you desire because he knows what we need and he gives us the spirit to put those desires begin to to intubate them into us and then to actually begin to pray those desires on our behalf The, the point is this god so loves he graciously and abundantly gives before being asked We've learned the last three weeks, right? What does he give? He gives a new and secured status that he has declared us righteous and that he's given us the spirit to actually make that righteousness begin to live out. He's given us the righteousness of Christ, his righteousness. So right now when he sees us, he sees us as righteous, not in our own ability, but in his ability, his righteousness. And then he gives that spirit to begin to live out that righteousness Righteousness in us to begin to transform our character. And then the spirit, God gives us a new and secured forever family. He declares us his children. He adopts us in and then he gives us that spirit to begin to make us in how his children ought to behave. Into the character and into his image. A new, he gives us a new Secured status, a new secured family, and he gives us a new secured future, a declared glory, a perfected character. And once again, he gives us that spirit to transform us, to sanctify us into this reality. These are not maybe gifts. These are not, man, I'm gonna hopefully I get this under the tree kind of gifts. These are promised, secured, declared gifts that you and I know right now that are waiting for us. Romans 8.31 says it this way, what then shall we say to these things? These things is a reference to all the things declared in Romans uh, chapter 5 through 8, which I'm sure you just have memorized, but in the summary, it's those three things is what Romans is telling us. It's right that that's new status, a new family, and a new future. What shall we say to these gracious gifts that our hearts didn't even know that we desire, that our new status, that we get a new status, that we get righteousness, that we get a new family, that we get to be God's children, that we get a new future to have God's completed character in us eternally with Him. Another way of asking this question, what then shall we say to these things If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a rhetorical question in Scripture. The answer is implied, God is for us, and He is not against us. And if God is for us, nothing can oppose us. This doesn't mean that you get to walk up and say, Hey, I'm going to beat you up, and you can't oppose me. That's not what it's saying, right? It's, it's not saying, hey, God is with my sports team. No one can defeat them. It will be proven wrong and wrong again. But God is for his children in which he's given a new status, in which he's given a new future. How do we know that God is for us and nothing can oppose us and nothing can take away the gifts that he's given to us? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the evidence. How do we know God is for us? Because he gave his only son to die for us. What more can he give? I mean, if he's going to give that, he will give anything. If he will give his only son, that is the evidence that he gave us life the death and resurrection of his son more importantly his son he gave us his son to give us life parents know we know that we would die for our children if we had the choice we would take our place so our children wouldn't die and we would die on their behalf we would do anything to protect them it's a sacrifice This is a reference that that God gives his own son that he he sets up in the story of Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham, this long story? At the end of the story, God tells him, right? And all the story, Abraham is old in age. He's told him a promise. I'm going to give you your only son. And through this, all the promises of a God will be filled. In fact, you'll have a multitude of generations, people more numerous than the stars will come out of this one son. And of course, the story of Abraham, is him trying to find different ways to fulfill that promise. And God say, no, 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 no. It's through you and Sarah will have this son. It will be miraculous. And at the very end of the story, as Abraham is learning to trust in this promise, and he has this son, God says, hey, go up to the mountain, and sacrifice your son. Kill this one son in which I promised everything will come through this one son. And Abraham so trusts God, he's willing to abide by it. Now here's some of the things that is why this is in here. You're like, this is really cruel of God. But all, all of the ancient Eastern faith in that time, this is God introducing himself really to the world anew again. All of the ancient East actually had child sacrifice. There was a requirement at times for their cultures to sacrifice children to their gods. And here's the story, is God's making, because at the end of that story, God doesn't let Abraham sacrifice that child. He stops. The point is, the whole of Scripture is God said, I am not going to let you sacrifice your children. I am the only one that will sacrifice my child for all of you. You will not have to do that. In fact, don't do that. That is not the way. That is not the way. If God is willing to do that for us, to take that away from us, what more will he give? Certainly, he will give us a new status. Certainly, he will give us a new family. And certainly, he will give us a new future. Nothing can stop that reality of those gifts. And how how do we know God is for us? Ephesians 1, uh, 13 through 14. In him, you also who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and believed in Jesus and God, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guaranteed of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One way you can like, know that these gifts are true, that they are guaranteed, is that God gives you the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is all about the holy, work of the Holy Spirit. And all of these gifts, they're declared, and the Holy Spirit is working out that. And one of the ways, only you can know if you have the Holy Spirit. There might be fruit and evidence that we might all see, but only you know and God knows if you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, it is a guarantee no matter what's going on in your life that these gifts are declared and true and secured. That the gift of a new status of righteousness is, de- is true, that the new family is true, and the new future is true. This is your guaranteed. It is sealed upon you. We know that God is for us, and nothing can oppose us. But what does it specifically mean that God is for us? It says in these verses three things. This is what it means that God is for us there is no charge against us. If God is for us, there is no condemnation against us. And if God is for us, there is no separation from him and his love. No charge, no condemnation and no separation. The first one is, if God is for us, means there is no charge against us. Romans eight thirty three, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, against God's chosen people? It is God who justifies. It is God who declares right. We have all violated God's law. We have all violated His character. We have all violated this this royal law of love. Love God and love neighbor. We do it every day. We all deserve to be charged. To be prosecuted against this law. And tried for our sins and our transgressions. But by God's grace, the Father has placed all of our transgressions on Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we are like sheep have gone astray. Doesn't that sound familiar to the later on in this passage? We have all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the sin and the transgressions of everyone. The image in this is as in scripture. This is a, a forensic judicial setting that this is a court and judicial proceeding. It is a bench trial. Tamara, a bench trial is, right? Do you know it? Okay, okay, I figured She's in law school, right? A bench trial is when it's not a trial by jury, but it's the judge who gets to make the judgment. So the judge is also the judge, and he's the jury. Here's, here's the image in Scripture, that God is, our, is our, the judge and jury, and our, the prosecutor against us is Satan. He is our accuser, willing to bring up all our wrongdoings and guilt in our life. Do you have that voice in you that accuses you all the time? That says you're not worthy? That's Satan making his case against you. Don't buy it. Here's the great thing. Our defense attorney is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And the miracle in God's courtroom is that he's defending us, he's our judge and jury, but he doesn't drop the charges. What he does is that Jesus steps in our place and all the charges that we deserve are placed on us. On there are all the sins are imputed onto Jesus. All of our sins are imputed, given to Jesus, and his righteousness is given to us. We are declared righteous by this judge, and at that moment, Jesus is declared unrighteous because of our sins, and therefore he dies on the cross. He takes the penalty. There is no charge in that courtroom. The case is dismissed, and we are declared Innocent and righteous because Christ's character is imputed on us. Our character is imputed on Christ, given to him. There is no charge against us. The charges, but this do go away. Jesus bears the charges. God is for us, and therefore there is no charge against us. And God is for us, and therefore there is no condemnation against us. Romans 8:34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In just the, the courtroom, which I just explained, it makes sense that there, if there's no charge against us, there shall be no condemnation against us. We're not even in the courtroom anymore. We have been set free. The charge is imputed to Jesus, and therefore the condemnation is imputed to Jesus. His death in our place, that is, propitiation, that is that theological word. He is the sacrifice in our place. The place that, that means that there's an expatiation for our sins. There is a, a making amends that Jesus actually pays the reparation that we are owe to God for our sins. All sins need reparation. Jesus pays those reparations. He pays the penalty, what is due. Meaning he takes our death upon himself. Jesus is the one who has died. And Jesus is the one who has been condemned. But now, because of his righteous character, because he is God, he has been resurrected and he is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. I have this vision. That's not a biblical vision, but this is the vision that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's whispering to the Father. And he's telling all the good things and arguing for our defense. See how sweet and lovely and kind they are. See what we're doing to that? And then I have this image, right? I mean, uh, the father and son, they have the same will, so they're aligned, right? But it's just kind of this sweet whisper. And I see the father as this kind of jovial laughter and enjoyment as he sees his children and he sees his son talk about his other children. It's not a scriptural view, but I think it's it's an accurate view of understanding God and how he sees us. God is for us, and therefore there is no charge. And therefore there is no condemnation against us, right? These first two, they are forensic and they're judicial. It's a case against us that's no longer in existence, that has been taken care of. It's not just dismissed, it actually is taken care of. And then the third reason is not judicial, but it talks about God's love for us. Which is really the motivation why the first two are given, because God loves us. If God is for us, it means we'll never be separated from Him, and we'll never be separated from His love. We will never be separated from His love. Can you turn to your neighbor right now? I know this is awkward and co- uncomfortable, but this is actually awkward that God says this to us. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them you will never be separated from God's love. All right. You need to hear this over and over again in your life. All right, that's it. Doesn't take that long. Hold on, people. Settle down. Just a few words. Get out of hand. Romans eight thirty five 35-36 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That last part seems really odd in that moment, but I'll explain it in a second. Separation is the immediate and direct consequence for sin. You can look back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are walking with God in the garden. They sin and they are separated from God. It's the immediate and direct. They're separated from actually, like, oh, God, we don't even want to, they don't even desire to be with God. They want to hide from Him. It's the immediate consequence of sin in our lives. And we don't even want to be with God. And of course, God so loves us, He actually removes us in part from Him. Nothing can totally be removed from the existence of God. He moves us out of the garden to keep us from eternally living in separation, from eating from that tree. He removes us. Separated. There is separation because of our sin. Now the reality is whether you're a sinner or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, God is present in this world and He's present with you. There's just a mindset that we actually don't know it whether He's present. You and I, who know it, this fact, struggle at times, this reality to know that He is actually with us all the time that He resides in us. This 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 God. This is why we come. He comes in Christmas time. This really show that He is visible. That I am with you. I am Emmanuel. That I am not separated anymore. That you and I are not separated anymore. It's we've been doing this Advent devotional. We've been talking about the Shalom. This is complex, big word in 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 the Hebrew language, which means peace, but not just absence of conflict, which means harmony and reconciliation in relationship. This is what God is doing. He's bringing this shalom, this peace, this harmony in relationship, this reconciliation that's completed and forever. Romans 5, uh, 11, which is actually talking about the peace and shalom of God. It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have now received peace. Shalom. Last week, I talked about several reasons why we suffered, and that was this last verse here that we are like sheep to be slaughtered. And if you remember, uh, last week I said there's really kind of four major reasons. It's probably, we don't have to be exhaustive on that list, right? Our first reason why we actually suffer is because of our sin. We make individual choices and prove to be harmful and counterproductive in our lives. Our sin separates us. You hear this, though, in this passage. God has taken care of what separates us. God has taken care of this suffering, our sin. Now, you and I, in part, still experience that. But God has taken care of it. It's declared. This, your sin, will no longer separate us. I have resolved it. Your sin will never separate you again from God. There is no charge. There is no condemnation. He's taken away that aspect of suffering. And we talk about the other aspect is other people sin. People harm us. This is uh, uh, locally and globally, systematically, sin happens, right? Because this world is filled with a bunch of people like you and me. And so we sin even better in groups. We're really good at this. Uh, So that sin can actually be harmful to people, and then there's the universal consequence of sin. This, this, the, the God very promised at the very beginning, the Adam's name, which means it's connected to the ground. says, The toiling of the ground, your labor and your work, everything about your existence will be hard. You and I can identify with this, right? Life is hard, it is toilsome. There is a lot of suffering. Just by the sheer ignorance, by the universal consequence of sin. There's natural consequences to all of our sin that all of us had turned away from God. Verses uh, 35 and 36 focus on the suffering, not from our sin, but did you hear it from the sin of others? Famine and persecution and all those things, uh, not not persecution, distress and nakedness and danger, all those things are uh, outside things that uh, can separate us or harm us. And God is saying, look at! I have actually taken care of that as well too. I've taken care of your sin, I've taken care of other people's sin, I've taken care of the universal consequence of sin, which leaves the last reason why we actually suffer in this world. That we're united with Jesus. Which was in that verse, right, because you're persecuted. You're persecuted because you're united with Jesus. The language that we use is that this is, this is the way. This this Mandalorian, this is his way. The way of selflessly loving others that he demonstrates on this cross. Willing to lay down your life for the benefit of others. Of just by the mere fact that we are united in his death and resurrection and his way, his love, we will suffer in this world. Paul quotes from Isaiah 53 in this passage, right? Sheep led to slaughter. Jesus, Jesus demonstrates his love to us and he tells us to model that love and he models it first for us. This is who you are. This is what righteousness is. This is what children of God do and this is your future, your character. We are united in his way, in his love, And so we will suffer in this world. We will suffer in this world in part because we're learning to love in this manner. We're learning to love in a world that is broken, that does not love in this way, that doesn't understand love in this way. God takes care of all these things of why we suffer. There's no condemnation, there's no charge, and there's no separation. In fact, you're actually united to me. You're united to me. You're united to Jesus. The last point in this verse, that that there is no separation, is so important that it's repeated twice for you. He has this little phrase, there is no separation, there's no separation. It's repeated over and over again. Here again in Romans 8, 37. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, we are not separated by any circumstance, by any sin, by anything. We are not separated. Better than that, we are conquerors. We are conquerors in this world because we are united in Jesus. We're tied to Jesus. Not separated to him, we are united to him. And Jesus is the conqueror of this world. Jesus is the conqueror of death. Most of us have experienced death of a loved one or someone. We know that death is horrible. It is awful. It is miserable. No matter what the age. Jesus has defeated death. He has conquered that And you and I will conquer death because we are united to Jesus. Jesus has conquered your sin and your brokenness as well. There is nothing that can defeat him. It goes on in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. Period. This is emphasized twice for us. It needs to echo in our skulls day in and day out. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And there's nothing that can separate you from God. There is no separation from God and His love. There is no separation from God and His love. Let that echo in your minds, in your children's minds, in the halls of wherever you're going. May the people know that this is true. God loves you. Nothing will get in the way of that. Not even you. Certainly not anyone else. God is for us. He is not against us. This means there is no charge against us. This means there's no condemnation against us. And this means there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Nothing. Never. As we approach the celebration of Christmas, Christ, the celebration of Christ's first advent in the world, Let us rejoice and be glad. We wait in anticipation and we declare out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come now. But as we wait for him, we do not wait in suspense. We do not wait in suspense for his gifts. We do not wait not knowing what his gifts are. We know what the gift of God and the gifts of God are. And we know what is under the Christmas tree, you and I come to God all the time with lesser desires, don't we? And to be honest, God is OK with that. God actually wants you to come with whatever's on your Christmas list, or whatever's on your desire list, whatever you want, He wants you to be in relationship with Him and tell him, He can handle your broken desires. He can hand her whatever you ask of him. It doesn't mean he's going to grant it. But what he wants is you to speak it. Tell him. Don't hide it from him as if you could. Be in relation. This is part of who we are. Not being separated. But he, in the midst of all that, he knows that our desires are broken and he's given us his spirit to begin to change those desires and to begin to to desire the true things, the true gifts of God. Because God so loves, he gives us those desires, and he gives us those gifts. He gives us a new status, a new family, and a new future. May we be reminded this season, the truth and the reality of those gifts. May we begin to live out the reality of those gifts right now. May you begin to live out the reality of your new status right now. May you begin to live out the reality of your, your new family right now. And may you begin to live out the new reality of your secured new future. Open those gifts. Don't just wait for them. Well, they're down the road. Open them right now and enjoy him, now and forever. Let us pray. Gracious God. Generous, generous Lord. I thank you that you give more than I can ever desire. I thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from you not my brokenness not our sin I thank you that there is no charge and there is no condemnation anymore Lord help us all open these gifts and revel in them and give you praise for these gifts as we learn to live in them right now in this true reality You are a good, good father. And you alone give good gifts. Praise be to you. And all God's children said, amen. Amen.